take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. So we have had tons of discussions with some incredible people about mental health. Um, and you, you get a, a variety of perspectives and backgrounds on, on how everyone deals with, with issues um, and, and their own personal journey. Today, however, I'm, I'm really happy to have Manakshi Sharma come on here. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan, for having me. And um, the reason I'm so excited is one thing I've also wanted to explore with this podcast is, you know, it's not just mental health based. It's, it's kind of, we base it on a lot of different things, but being in that mental health community, I've always wanted to explore, you know, the diversity of people, diversity of, you know, our different backgrounds and where we come from. And we can have those conversations about, you know, all the different things that kind of relate to us and, and, you know, the countries we come from or the religions we practice. So happy to have you on and your movement, the Lotus movement. Can you kind of tell us what that's a little bit about and, and its mission? Absolutely. So first off, thanks, Ryan, for, for asking me to, to come on board with, with your podcast. I think you're doing an amazing job with bringing together uh, people and talking about issues like uh, mental health. So the Lotus Movement is a mental health movement, and it's um, primarily targeted to the South Asian community for now. Um, and the reason why the South Asian community, because Mental health is still a very taboo topic. And I know generally speaking it is, and we're doing a great job as a society to end the stigma. But I just felt compelled as a South Asian woman who has experienced postpartum anxiety. Um, I didn't feel like I had you know, the resources that I needed um, or the actual um, talking ear, like the listening ears for me to tell them that this is what I've experienced. And I know there's many within our community who are suffering in silence. So I felt it was time to really just start this movement. Um, originally when I had uh, the plan of launching it, so it got, um, it was launched in early April, but my plan was to do a lot of in-person interactive style events. Right. But of course, given our global pandemic that we're in right now, uh, I had to switch gears a little bit, right? So everything is digital. I'm using social media platforms. I'm using Instagram. I'm using Facebook. I'm going to be jumping onto Twitter very shortly as well and creating a website too. Um, and I've decided to create this virtual speaker series. And the purpose behind the virtual speaker series is as if you were sitting at an actual event and you were listening to speakers speak on their experiences with mental health and um, you know, explaining to, to people that they're not alone, that there are relatable issues, that there are resources available to you and that you do not have to suffer alone. So um, I have a diverse range of speakers lined up for, um, you know, for the upcoming months. And hopefully after that, I'll be able to actually host something in person. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, like I said, everything is, is being done digitally. And um, it's really, like I said, to start the conversation and raise that awareness. That's the short-term goal there. Right. So I, I am curious, um, it was, uh, when was it? It must have been October or November of last year. Um, I was at a mental health kind of panel and, and conversation and, um, you know, a, a person of color got up to ask a question about what are you specifically doing at the workplace to help people of color mm -hmm. when it comes to their mental health? Mm -hmm. Now that was really kind of like a different perspective for me because before that, even as a mental health advocate, I didn't really take into account the, the different kind of experiences and challenges that people of color might experience, especially when it comes to mental health. Um, you know, so what, what particular challenges, like why is it different for people of the South Asian, you know, community um, experiencing mental health? What makes it different and might present different challenges than say, you know, you know, a, a, a white mm -hmm. person, like, you know, straight guy like me? That's right. Yeah. No, that's a great question, Ryan. Um, so I'll give you um, a bit of background here. So I've been in touch with the Royal Mental Health Center. And um, one thing that we've been hearing from the center specifically is that 
they're having a hard time reaching out to a lot of these marginalized communities because there are barriers, right? Mm -hmm. There's cultural barriers, there's language barriers. And I think that's where this individual might have been coming from because we being people of color, we do have different um, challenges that we are facing. And because you play in, when you play in the, the cultural and the language stuff, and even the society, societal stuff is, is, is also, um, it's, it's there, right? Um, a lot of the times people of color, because of the backgrounds they come from, they don't feel like they're empowered to share their stories because there's a lot of judgment. And I mean, I'll share a personal story on my end, having, like I said, experienced postpartum anxiety, you know, I one day did share that with my parents um, and, you know, their first question was, well, do you need medication? You know, in a very kind mm. of judgmental way. And then their second point was, oh, you'll be fine. You'll get over it. We did it. You can do it too. Right. So there's a lot of this um, misconception associated with mental health in these marginalized communities. And, um, you know, the goal with the Lotus Movement and with working with the Royal Foundation or the Royal uh, Mental Health Center is to empower these folks to, to get them to um, understand that they, they have a place where they can, they can go and speak to people and they have, um, they have a support system. And how do we do that? We do that collectively as a community and we open up and we, we hear out these individuals. What is it in particular about, you know, from your experience and, and you know, um, having, you know, Indian parents and that mm -hmm. being your background, what particular issues like surround that and mental health you know like i mean there is a lot of older generations even mm -hmm. here with us that would have that same mentality yeah. but what are some of the stigmas that that wrap around mental health um when it comes to like your background and in, in, in your family and in your culture Right. So I think there's a lot of, um, you know, if you come out and say that I'm suffering a mental illness, there's a lot of judgment associated to it. So, um, you know, people might question what kind of family is she from? How was she raised? Um, just a lot of these negative, negative thinking and, and uh, thoughts. And it's, it's very frustrating because that's kind of the mentality of, um, and I'm not trying to, um, you know, say anything bad about my culture. I love my culture. I love, I love the diversity. I love the values and the beliefs, but it's just the mentality of it that, that really frustrates me how people think about, you know, um, how others are suffering. And it gets to me as well, because like I said, a lot of people are suffering in silence and a lot of these people are not getting the help that they need. And if they're not getting the help that they need, well, what's happening to our future generations? Right. I know my parents, um, you know, they they immigrated to Canada in the 1970s. They had their own slew of problems and, and struggles as well. And for them, I think it was more of a survival mode. Right. They came to a country they didn't have much with them. Um, they struggle to find jobs. They struggle to, to um, you know, fit into the society and the culture here, the Canadian culture. So they were dealing with their own, um, their own set of challenges. And did they have a moment to, to think about their mental health? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it ever crossed their mind. And that's something that I'm also like trying to understand is the generational issues behind the mental health uh, piece within the South Asian community. Um, and that's something that I've, I've, um, hope to include in the speaker series that, that I, that I have launched and actually hear from, from, uh, you know, psychologists and therapists and, um, understand what, what did they go through and why were they not open about it? Or did they have the right resources at the time? Because for them, it was just like, it was survival mode. It was power mode. It was mm -hmm. go, go, go. And having kids and then integrating your kids into the society and the culture, it was just a lot, right? It was a lot going on. So being the first generation, we're finally at that point where we understand that we can talk about our issues, right? But we have to do it without this, this like judgment bubble, bubble that's sitting on, on our shoulders, right? Right. Do you know, like, I mean, mental health resources are so kind of finite and limited as they are. Has there, and I don't know if you know the answer, so if you don't, it's okay, but do you know if there's been a lot of study or effort or research into, into what you're talking about to understanding 
you know, kind of that, that gap that they might've ex experienced, um, you know, especially when it comes to, we talk about, you know, immigration coming to a new country mm -hmm. and trying to, you know, assimilate into their culture. And, and especially back then when it wasn't quite as, you know, come in and, and be yourself, it was come in and change to what Canadians, I, I use air quotes, expect yeah. you to be, yeah. you know, has there been effort into studying that impact or understanding that the impact of what that, what that did? So I'll give a very general answer because I don't want to speak to um, something that I'm not, I'm not mm -hmm. sure mm -hmm. it's or not, but um, through my research from finding, for finding speakers for my, my speaker series, I've been noticing a lot coming out of the UK. There's a lot of um, psychologists and therapists who are looking into these issues of like the generational uh, um, pieces, right. When it comes to, to mental health. Um, I haven't seen much here in Canada. Um, I know there are some local, um, South Asian, um, um, women actually who are working, uh, with the, the Royal Mental Health Center on studies, but I'm not, I'm not sure it's specific to this generational piece. I think it's more of like, um, um, what goes through, through our minds and, and studying the brain and, and right. that sort of thing. So, yeah. I'm curious and like, please educate me as much as you want on this because I make this, it's a joke, but like, it's true on this podcast a lot is I'm from like a, a small, you know, almost purely white town when I was growing up. So until now, I haven't had a lot of, exp like, I'm just starting to learn about all these different cultures and people and backgrounds and stuff, right? You come from a limited view and, and you start learning. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious on the effects that maybe the culture plays on, on gender roles, um, you know, especially when it pertains to India, you know, and, and um, again, I, I don't want to speak off terms, so please mm -hmm. feel free to correct me on anything, For but sure. like kind <laughs> of like arranged marriages, I'm, as you can tell, I'm trying to dance around everything yeah. very <laughs> softly because I, I don't want to you know, be yeah. ignorant or anything, but you know, um, arranged marriages or, you know, the, the husband wife relationship, um, you know, how does that play a big effect on, on mental health and, oh. and everything in, in oh, your experience? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, um, yes, India is, is, you know, slowly starting to westernize in, in some cities, but in a lot of cities, especially in the smaller villages, I mean, there's still talk of arranged marriages and um, human trafficking as well, um, child marriages. There's, there's still a lot. And even just, you know, boys having more precedence over girls. It's, it's still, these are common um, problems still. And it's not just, you know, it's, I wouldn't say it's just an Indian problem. It's definitely a global problem. There are, um, I mean, it happens in the Western countries as well, right? Where we do experience, um, or hear of stories of human trafficking and sex trafficking and that sort of thing. And, um, it's interesting too, because I am having someone who will be speaking on, um, the effects of mental health when it comes to domestic abuse and violence within the community, right? Yeah, yeah. Because even then we don't like divorce is again, another taboo topic amongst many others in in the community um we don't speak about divorce if you are having problems in in your marital relationship you deal with it you put up with it right irrespective of how one is treating the other because you know men and women are equally um susceptible to to any sort of you know discrimination and abuse and whatnot um so yes you know all of these different issues definitely have a big role on your mental health and um and that's a part of the problem that needs to be spoken about right and and so maybe you know with this piece on mental health i'm hoping that we as a, as a community and as a society we can understand that all these like these layering issues that are, are um, you know, almost like the behind the scenes issues that they also start coming out, right? That it's okay to talk about divorce. It's okay to talk about our sexual problems. It's okay to talk about relationship issues. We are human. We are all human, right? And we are all equally, um, you know, exposed and and can can have all these emotions and, and feelings in our lives right so um yeah i hope that answered your, yeah. your <laughs> do you have do you have a yeah. perspective on perhaps you know why all these things get pushed to the back burner you know is it a 
is it a religious thing? Is it just more of like a, a shame embarrassment thing? Kind of like that that feeling like if this is the way it is and it's the way mm-hmm. it has to be, you know, kind of that that societal stubbornness. Yeah. You know, what what is it that maybe a combination? I, I I don't know, but what's what's kind of like the reason that things get so held up? I think it's just this notion of like, you know, reputation is a big thing in our community. Um mm-hmm status um you know it's it's really hard because it it comes from many 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 years of (laughs) build up right and now i feel like my generation and i'm hoping that the future generation we're really trying to break down these um these these you know societal norms the way that we've been told that we should be acting i mean even as a woman it's it's always been that you know south asian women are supposed to um you know look after their husbands and take care of the children and watch uh you know take care of the household and these these things need to change this narrative needs to change right you know it's it was always told that we had to live this linear life of you go to school you get an education you get married you have kids and that is your life but there's more to, to it than that. Right. And, um, and I'm, that's been my journey is, is trying to always continuously break down these barriers because I now have two little girls and I want to make sure that their future is different. It's different than what, um, what our, our society once told us it should be. Right. Um, what, what's the resistance like for you? Is it, like when you're talking to your parents or, or family, friends, um, especially when it comes to the older generation, mm-hmm. what, how much resistance do you get? Um, you know, I guess what the question is, is like, how much of a challenge might this be for you? I definitely foresee this uh, being a challenging movement. And I can already kind of sense it because um, just from launching it, it's, it's not something that's going to gain momentum right away. Right. Because again, it's, it's a taboo topic and no one really wants to talk about it because I think it does bring out other issues as well. Um, so it's definitely been hard with gaining that momentum, but I've been just kind of, you know, tagging people and cold calling people and calling people out and just saying, Hey, have you heard of the Lotus movement? Hey, can you please uh, share it? And maybe, um, you know, someone brought this up to me and it was a very good point that um, don't expect that initial, like, wow, let's all jump on board because like I said, it's, it's a hard topic to be, to be speaking about. And also a lot of people might not feel comfortable yet. Right. They might just see that, okay, there is finally something here. Okay. I don't want to fully come on up, come on out and, and share my experience because I'm not there yet. And I can appreciate that. Right. Like I'm not expecting like, you know, a thousand likes on this page or anything like that. What I am expecting is that we realize that the, you know, that there is something here for people and that we can, uh, we can work together to, to, you know, lean on each other and empower one mm-hmm. another and share our stories and that these stories are, are shared in a safe space, that they're not, uh, they're not going to be judged or they're not going to be scrutinized for, for sharing their, their emotions. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you, you know, it, it makes me think of a thing like, um, Bellet's talk, which aside mm-hmm. from all the, the corporate stuff, like whatever, but you know, when that started and that was behind a huge media corporation right. and with all the advertising and everything in a while, it still took, you know, three, four, five years to really get to a point where you started to notice the conversation changing. But with that being said, there are still, you know, a ton of people who just, who suffer in silence, who aren't comfortable sharing how they, they feel. Um, you know, since I've been speaking, like, you know, I, I wouldn't have to be speaking about it in front of people or if, if people weren't still scared to, to talk about it or, or even understand it. I think that's another big thing is, you know, what is, you know, we all have mental health. We all experience mm-hmm. some sort of anxiety, some sort of depression, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, you know, what's the point of this is something temporary or this might be an issue, right? Like that kind of tightrope that you're walking it's it's even hard to understand for people who are who are in it like me um like yourself you know i i often think you know i 
I'm involved. I, I have medication, I therapy, mm-hmm. all this stuff. And then there's still things where I'm like, is it normal for me to be thinking about this? Yeah. I don't know. So there, there's a huge educational component that has to go along with it. Right. Um, so, you know, is that also a big part of your kind of movement? Like it's one thing to have that personal speaker talk about their story and people are like, oh, okay, yeah, I feel that way. But it's mm-hmm. getting psychologists, getting, you know, sociologists, uh, all these people who just understand it so much better. Is that going to be a big part of the movement? Absolutely. I, um, that's the goal is to have a variety of guest speakers. And I, like I said, I've reached out to a lot of people. That's the good thing too. Um, is that yes, we're in this pandemic, but social media has been such a powerful tool at the moment to connect with people because I don't know if, you know, truthfully this was, um, you know, forget about COVID, forget if we were in this situation and I was actually hosting an in-person event, I'm not sure I would have been able to, to secure like a diverse range of, of guest speakers because I would have probably just remained in my bubble and stuck with that bubble. But, you know, the power, the power, our social media at the moment is just amazing. So with that, I have been able to connect with people globally and I have people from the States. I have people from across the country as well, like people out of Vancouver. I have people in the UK who are psychologists, they're therapists, psychotherapists as well, um, who are so willing to come forward and share, um, you know, they can't necessarily give that medical advice, of course, because mm-hmm. they have to be careful of their licensing and, and mm-hmm. you know, there, but they are able to share in a general perspective that, you know, these are the signs, are the, the telling signs. These are the resources that are available to you. Um, and then ultimately just sharing as well their piece on, you know, what made them become a psychologist, what made them become a psychotherapist and, and so on and so forth and, and professionals in their field, right? Um, and then I also had from the UK, um, he's, uh, he goes by the name of uh, Seek Dad. He's, he's, uh, um, he's a dad to four kids and he recently was one of my guest speakers and he he shared, he was, that's the, okay. There's just, oh my God, Ryan, there's so many thoughts that I'm just like, <laughs> where do I even begin? Because it's just, I'm so blown away by the response of how willing people are to share their stories. And he, he's a, he's a man, he came out and he just, he poured his heart out. And then he sent me a message afterwards. And he said, I've never shared that much detail but I felt it was the right thing to do and I felt empowered to do it. And that honestly, that like, it just, it humbled me so much because not only is this helping the public, it's also helping these guest speakers share their their piece as well. And I also like, I struggle with um, actually sharing my full story because I'm not there yet. I'm not, mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't reached that moment in my life where I'm comfortable to, to share my story, but listening to these guest speakers and, you know, them coming back with, you know, um, positive responses to me, it just gives me that, that hope and that ray of light that, you know what, if they can do it, I know I can get there as well. And one day I will be able to share my story. So it's just, it's so, it's so powerful at the moment. Yeah. Uh, that's an important thing, you know, as a speaker, I find, you know, I reached a point where I felt comfortable taking, like sharing my story publicly. Um, it took me, well, it took me like three, three years mm-hmm. uh, from, from the point of kind of like the lowest point to getting to a point of, of sharing it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I always say when, when you share your story, it's like a, a weight gets lifted off your shoulders. Yeah. Um, but it's also always important to know because, you know, when, if I share something that's very intimate or, or personal to me, people you know, will will kind of message me privately and be like, you know, like I wish I had the courage to maybe That's share right. something about me. And I'm, I'm, I always say to people, it's like, like the courage doesn't come from sharing it publicly. You don't ever have to share it publicly if you mm-hmm. don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's about just talking to somebody, exactly. um, whether that's a professional, a friend, a parent, your partner. Um, whoever, like it, you don't have to go on Twitter or YouTube or make a podcast. Like yeah. that doesn't, that's not what it's all about. And that's why, you know, when I speak to teens, that that's what it is too. You don't have to get up here and tell this everybody about it, but don't keep it in. Like you were saying earlier, um, like it's important that you, uh, you share and start getting it out to, to people exactly. that can help. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think that's one thing that I am guilty of that for the longest time I was bottling up a lot of the feelings. And then it just came to a point where I recognized that I needed, I needed help and I needed to, to do something about it. And, um, that's also a key message, right? Is, is, um, to not, don't suppress those thoughts. Don't just put, brush them away because they, they do catch up to you at some point. Yeah. And you know, no doubt about it. It's so hard. It, yeah. it takes a lot to mm-hmm. make yourself vulnerable like that. Yeah. Um, let, let your guard down and, and let kind of like the, almost maybe the most personal details of your life with somebody like, like, don't get me wrong as you tell people to talk all the time, but like, it's not easy. And I like, you always want to emphasize, emphasize that point as well. Um, I'm curious. uh, And I, I, you know, I've only had the the chance to ask this question a few times, but I, I would like to know, you know, from your perspective, what, the impact of, you know, racism and, and um, stereotyping and, and, you know, all those different things. What role does that, like how deeply impactful is, is that on, men, uh, on mental health of people who experience it? Because, you know, that, that term gets thrown around a lot lately and, and justly so. There, of course, there's a lot of it going on, whether that's institutionally or on social media. But I don't think people really understand the impact that it has on the people experiencing it firsthand. Mm-hmm. Can you just share a little bit, like, it doesn't have to be a story or personal experience, but mm-hmm. maybe things you've heard about it and, and how it affects affects people? Yeah, that's a very, um, it's a sensitive one, right? Because yeah. let's be real, there's uh, systemic racism is still very much prevalent in our in our society. And, um, you know, growing up, I'll share a little bit actually of a personal um, take on this. So growing up, I grew up in a very, um, I was the only colored student really in my elementary school. Um, so no one really understood like why my mom had to put oil in my hair every night or why I wasn't allowed to uh, wear nail polish or makeup or why I wasn't allowed to go for sleepovers. And so at the time, you know, obviously like you feel like you're just going through the normal kid things, right? And you have to like fight with your parents and, you know, explain to them why you want to go to so-and-so's house or so-and-so's birthday. And um, at the time, that's what I thought it was. But I think what I realized is that um, you know, I'd sometimes as a kid, I would get bullied in that sense, right? Because they would always pick on me on like, well, why, why are you dressed that way? Why do you smell that way? Why do you always smell like curry? Right? Like that was a common, mm. <laughs> a common comment. And I can like, I can joke about it now, of course, but at the time, like as a kid, like it hits you, it hits you hard. And you do hold on to a lot of these negative memories because let's be real, like that's, that's that's the childhood I grew up in right and um I couldn't go to my parents and say hey like so and so picked on me for the fact that I was wearing like a traditional outfit to school or whatnot right and I mean I have to give it to my parents like my mom's always been that advocate to like promote your culture promote where you come from be proud of it which is all great but then it had an impact on me it had an impact on my mental health it had an impact on um, you know, the person that I am today, I, I've come to terms that I can get over, you know, and, and um, let go of a lot of that. But in that moment, it definitely played, a, um, you know, an impact on my mental health. And it, it comes down to what kids are dealing with today, too, right? I mean, there's still bullying happening, there's still discrimination happening. And, um, and this does take a toll on, on this, you know, future generations mental health. And we need to, again, we need to give them those right resources and those right um, tools and, and um, empowering it. It always comes down to empowering them, empowering them that they, they can, uh, they can do more and that they, they, um, that they will get out of it. Right. And that there are people to help them to get out of it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm also curious how much like, does that, I know you said you let it go, mm-hmm. but like how, like truly, how much does it get carried with you as you, you grew up and, and, and into an adult woman and, and starting your life and your family? Like, mm. 
I know it's going to be different for everybody, but I, I am curious, like, as a, as a child, like, it's just things you don't understand and, and the bullying and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, just, it's just different, right? Yeah. The, the people like to pick out differences, but the, the long lasting impact, um, you know, how, how much does it impact the rest of your life? Does it like, you know what I mean? Like, does it make yeah. you more cautious? Um, is there maybe something that like, like, you know, maybe it might be maybe triggering. Um, mm-hmm. And you're like, ah, like I remember this stupid asshole Jerry said that thing about <laughs> me. You know, just not to make light of the topic, but no, I'm just no. curious how much gets carried on and that you hold on to, whether consciously or subconsciously. Yeah. Well, I think that's just it, right? Like now I can, you know, quote unquote joke about it, right? Um, like I said at the time, could I do that? No. Um, it took me many years to get to that point. But then I think I also took a direction where, um, you know, once high school came and I was in more of like a multicultural, um, I guess, setting environment, I found my brown click, right? So mm. I just kind of stayed with my brown click. And then we all kind of understood each other that, you know, it's okay to smell like curry and your jacket smells this way. <laughs> but I do, um, I do kind of get those like weird flashbacks because like now when I cook, I make sure that I put my jackets away in the closet so that I don't mm. have that in my mind that, okay, if I go to work and people are going to smell it, like it's going to be awkward and, you know, just like little things like that. But um, I just wonder too, is, if, is that a me issue or is that like a cultural issue or do others, you know, other people of color experience that or Caucasian people experience that? Like, you know, it's like I said, we we definitely have progressed as a society and we're open to cultures and the different, um, you know, the different traditions that people, you know, um, are believing in, but that systemic racism is still very much there. Right. And so, um, we just kind of work really hard to, um, to change those narratives and to educate, right. That's also another thing. So anytime, um, there would be like a festival. So like the Vali, for example, that's a festival of lights. It's like our new year. Right. And, uh, you're supposed to wear new clothes. You're supposed to, um, you know, do certain prayers and whatnot. And I was very like shy and timid about it in school. Like I wouldn't really talk about it. I just like, I'd go to school, like as if it was a normal day, but you know, now that I think back, I'm like, but you know, I, why, why was I so shy about it? Why did I, why was I not proud about it? Like, you know, if I could celebrate Christmas really proudly, why couldn't I celebrate Diwali proudly? Right. So now what I do is whenever, um, you know, there's a big festivity or a big, you know, celebration, I'll go purchase some Indian sweets and I'll go into work that day and I'll say, Hey, guess what? It's Diwali guys. (laughs) Let's all dig in and, and, uh, you know, eat some amazing Indian sweets. And so I'm just like, I'm embracing it now. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think, um, like I said, it took me a while to get there. I like, I had to let go of a lot of things. I had to let go of these, like, um, these thoughts that were just consuming me that I realized are not important. If I want to truly be that driver and change to, you know, one step closer to get us to that one step closer to end this systemic racism, then I have to embrace it myself. And I have to be that, um, that catalyst to, to educate people. Right. So, uh, so yeah, so it's, it's come to that. Right. I, I, I always like, I, I wish people felt comfortable to share it more because I, I love, you know, seeing it. Cause yeah. again, like I, I had, I have no clue. Like, I'm, unfortunately, I'm just, I'm, I'm educated in a lot of subjects. And, you know, that's a big reason why I have the podcast. And I can mm-hmm. learn about all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of it is, you know, just my own kind of ignorance of not exploring everything. But, like, I, I just, I love that now, you know, growing up from what we were talking about to now where you come in and, and you know, spread it around the workplace. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, that's fun. That, yeah. that, that's fun. Um, I am curious. So when it comes to stereotypes and especially when it comes to Indian stereotypes, Mm -hmm. you know, I think of Apu from the Simpsons, right? Like that was the first character that came to mind. (laughs) The the iconic one, you know? Yeah. What is that? that, That's a good question. What's the impact of stereotypes and especially when it comes to those types of stereotypes? Because I think a lot of, people always kind of categorize mm-hmm. especially south asian communities that they're kind of they're working at 
the corner stores at the gas stations at you know um i mean in in some cases they're frontline workers if we're yeah. talking about now there's yeah. a lot that become frontline workers yeah. and, and funny enough they never got respect until now when everyone's like oh wow they actually are really important right know. you know what what's the is there a lot of like talk about that amongst your community like mm-hmm. it, about those stereotypes and how harmful they are um just kind of maybe shed some light on on that just so it'll help people understand it yeah for sure um there's definitely a lot of yes stereotypes out there that um you know we need to we need to do better at breaking because um let's you know let's take this example you have someone who's a qualified engineer, doctor, lawyer, whatever it might be in India, who comes to a country like, you know, the Western, one of the Western countries, um, tries to integrate into the society, but doesn't um, fit into the credentials that this Western country has, um, has put out there. So what does this individual do? Well, they resort because it's, again, it's survival mode, right? They have families, they have to, they have to sustain their lifestyle. So what do they do? They become those frontline workers, right? They are taxi drivers. They are, um, bus, bus drivers. They are those who are, you know, potentially even working at the Tim Hortons at the McDonald's, right? There are, they're, they're, they're doing something else aside from what they've been qualified for and what they've worked so, so hard for. And I know it because I've seen it within my own family, right? My dad, he, um, he had done his BCom in, in India, New Delhi. And when he immigrated here to Canada, he couldn't find a job because no one would quote unquote, believe his credential or they wouldn't take it seriously, you know, because it wasn't a credential. He didn't go to a post-secondary institution here in, in one of the Western countries. So it was hard, right? So he did have to work these, these different jobs and he did drive a bus for X amount of years. And then, you know, he, like many others realized that, okay, in order to, um, get our, our, uh, professions that we, we, you know, are, um, that we've worked hard for that in our other countries, he did go back to school here and he did, you know, find a job eventually that um, fit his, his profession. And so, um, you know, when you see it in shows like the Simpsons and you see it in a lot of uh, movies sometimes that, Oh, there's a cab driver and he's like, he's either like of a South Asian descent and he's got an accent and whatever. It's just kind of like they, they degrade these, these people, right? Like we're not just taxi drivers. We're not just, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's nothing wrong with driving a taxi, but also don't stereotype, you know, people from the South Asian diaspora to be these, these people, because we're more than that, right? Like, um, there's some, some amazing people who are running some amazing companies at the moment who are, um, successful South Asian people. Right. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's a work in progress for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, and thank you for bringing that point up about your dad. Cause that's, you know, that's so true. And a lot of people forget that fact of when, you know, people like immigrate Yeah. that, you know, they have, you know, they're doctors, they're, yes. they're economists, they have like these prestigious degrees and come yes. here. And like you said about your dad, had, he had to start all over, it like all that hard work. Yeah. And then you have to start all over. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, is that changing a little bit now? Like, I, I really don't know um, when, you know, people, how much more accepting of those credentials, has it changed at all as it definitely, yeah, it definitely has. I think it's definitely gotten better. And I can see that because, um, like I'm in a bunch of these Facebook groups and it's like the Indian, um, community in Ottawa or the Indian community in Toronto. And there's just all these postings continuously about like private companies hiring, you know, it professionals out of India or, um, you know, business professionals and accountants and whatnot. Yes, they do have to come here and, you know, do a testing of some sort to make sure that they can practice here, but I am definitely seeing the shift. And it also helps too, that I think, um, Canada is accepting a lot of uh, international students here, right? So there are a lot of international students coming to Canada who are, um, you know, hoping to diversify their professions and, and, you know, join the society here and give back to the society here. So there's definitely a shift happening. I think, um, I think we've made progression in that sense, but also it's, it's just, 
it's hard on the previous generation who had to uh, work so hard to get to where they are at today. Um, but then it's also, it's rewarding, right? To see that the, the change is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, shifting topics a little bit, I'm just curious, yeah. and I, I don't know if you have um, any insight on it, but I'm curious on the views of LGBTQ people mental health and when that comes to the south asian community is it more accepting is it kind of on par um you know because that just kind of adds another layer to when we're talking about mental health like that's you know would you say it's 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 better it's a little bit worse it's complicated um definitely complicated complicated. (laughs) again because you know if you identify as a um a member of the LGBTQ community, it's not very accepting within the community, right? right? So um, again, only recently, I think, do people realize that um, you can identify differently, but it's, I think it goes down to um, a household opinion, right? How do different households um, accept this? Um, it's interesting because there's this uh, show currently uh, airing on Bravo. It's called Family Karma, and it's a re- reality TV show uh, based on South Asian families in Miami. And so think of like the Real Housewives, or think of like Keeping Up with the Kardashians. So that that style. And in that show, you know, they are talking about different topics that normally would be very. Um, hush hush right Mm -hmm. within the South Asian community they're talking about sexual relationships they're talking about LGBTQ community there's um, you know one uh, individual on that show he his his parents have fully accepted that he's he's gay and that he has a partner who um, you know they'll they'll be getting married they'll probably settle down and his parents have full-on accepted it and so it was almost like it was really refreshing when I was watching this episode that wow, there are finally, you know, uh, families who are accepting of this, right? Because just imagine the mental load on that, um, on that individual who has to uh, tell his parents, right? Like, I, I, I feel for him. I, I know exactly what he's going through, right? Um, there's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of anxiety. Um, and even, you know, from my own experience, so I, I, married a um uh, a man outside of my culture out of my community right so i married a french canadian a caucasian man and um even i remember that day when i had to like i didn't have to but i came out and told my parents that hey guess what i'm dating a white man (laughs) you know i was just like i was so scared i didn't know how they would react i didn't know what their um, what their thoughts would be, what their questions would be, like if they, if they would tell me to end the relationship ASAP, you know what I mean? It's just, there was just so many thoughts. So I can appreciate when people are finally coming out and they are expressing who they truly are. And then, then I see the families just reciprocating and, and becoming so understanding and accepting of, of, uh, of who we really are. So I had this conversation on the last episode about representation. Um, so I guess you, you know, you'd agree that like, you know, talking about the show Bravo and now it's kind of bringing some of these issues uh, to more of a mainstream audience. So mm-hmm. people who might be suppressing things or, or feeling things can be like, oh, like I, I see this on TV. Like, okay. Like, it's, so it's normal. Yeah. Um, so I guess you can speak to the importance of proper and, you know, intelligent representation of real life and and what that does for for people. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, representation matters, right? And I'm so glad that these conversations are coming up finally, right? I think they were always just kind of like under the rug, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll add a minority, like a visible minority to the mix to like make ourselves look like we're inclusive. But no, like now that that's changing, right? Like there is real um, inclusion happening and and representing all diversities and ethnic backgrounds. And um, so I really, like, I really do appreciate it. Sometimes the show is really extra though, like I have to admit. So <laughs> just like any sort of reality TV show. Yeah. Um, but at least they are touching on, on some topics that normally we as a community would not touch on. Yeah. Um, it's just, it, you think about it. And um, when I, when I think about, 
trying to when I growing up understanding Indian culture mm-hmm. like other than those those stereotypes there wasn't much even though India has a very successful you know Bollywood yeah that oh, yes. billion dollar industries of movies and yeah. and shows and, and icons and, and celebrities yeah. that like pretty much never cross over yeah with the exception of, I would say, until Slumdog Millionaire. Now, I could be wrong on that. Um, but that was yeah. like really kind of like the only crossover of culture into, I guess, Western society, yeah. which is really strange considering yeah. the, like, the success and, and you know, the, the power that it has. That's right. Yeah, no, for sure. And like India, like, you know, yes, there's Bollywood. And I mean, um, it's also quite a booming economy too, right? So it's, um, it's interesting that yes, Slumdog was the one that gave, I think, attention to, to India and uh, Bollywood and the industry itself. But I think also like, there were, there were different, you know, movies that were just kind of, um, they were there. They were probably not getting the attention that they deserved. I think uh, I can't even date back to what what year the Oscars um, were when this movie came out. It's it's called Lagan, and it was all about um, a cricket match, and it was uh, nominated in the best foreign uh, category for the Oscars. And um, I think it might have had to have been like ninety nine, almost ninety eight, ninety nine. So I mean, there's been there's been a couple of instances of yes, that that sort of. Um, branching out to the Western society and the Western culture. And I think, you know, um, recently a good example is Priyanka Chopra and Nick Jonas, right? Right? Um, You know, them getting married and settling down together and never, you know, no one probably ever would have thought that because, you know, Priyanka was so immersed in the Bollywood scene and and she still is, Um, you know, they never would have seen this connection and, and, but it's happened and everyone's okay with it. Like no one's, I'm sure there probably were some, some critics out there, but this is life. This is how we're evolving as, as a society, right? Globally, we are, we are connecting with other people and we are integrating our cultures and and into into different societies. Right. Mm -hmm. No. And it's a good point. It's while it's happening slowly and a lot slower than a lot of people would like, um, it's happening. Um, yeah. which I think is great because it gives an opportunity to to learn and, and understand and kind of dismantle some of those prejudices or, you know, unconscious biases That's right. uh, that you have. Um, I remember talking on my last uh, podcast, um, you know, when my, when my, my brother came out, um, it was a number of years ago now, but mm-hmm. at the time, and I was a hockey player, you know, mm. using the F word or saying that's gay was very, yes. um, that, that, that was just something like a normal part of the vocabulary. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until him like calling it out a couple times where then you could start to think about it and then you would catch yourself. Mm-hmm. And now like there's never a, even an inclination, even though I would almost say it all the time right. after, you know, a couple months, like you, you don't even, it never comes out. Yeah. You just, but you know, a lot of the time you just need to be like told that's not okay. Yeah. That's harmful that you're being an idiot. Yeah. And then if you're a decent person, which hopefully you are, you, yeah. you start to, you pick it up, but you kind of need that, that push of, you know, of people at, like just telling you and, and yeah. bringing it to your attention and awareness and, yeah. and then you can, you know, start to dismantle everything. Absolutely. What are some of the speaking events you have coming up? Who do you have scheduled? What's, what's coming up? Because I'm, I'm very curious to hear some of uh, your speakers and guests. Yeah, for sure. So um, this Friday, actually, so tomorrow, uh, well, I'm not sure what that would date would be. But anyways, whatever date it what is. What day is it? I don't <laughs> even know. <laughs> I'm so mixed up with my days. Um, I have a mom from Toronto, actually. She's a, uh, a blogger and a writer um, for a, um, a big um, digital uh, newspaper. So she's going to be featured, um, my next guest feature. And she's coming out with a different take on it because she's actually a mom who hasn't personally experienced any form of mental um, health issues, but she's talking about the importance of 
how as parents, we need to equip ourselves with the right strategies and the right tools and resources so that if one day our kids do come to us and tell us that they are having issues um, because she's got older children so who are going to be starting university and that's you know a common, uh, sometimes a common place, right, where, where kids are experiencing um, various forms of anxiety and depression. Right. And teenage is messy anyway. <laughs> exactly, right? And so um, add in that extra layer of like university yeah. Definitely, um, it can be a trying time, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so she's going to be sharing uh, her her take on that, and then going forward, I have a couple of local um, individuals who have agreed to speak about their personal experiences. I have one; uh, she's a good friend of mine. She's actually um, my personal trainer, um, so no bias there to promote <laughs> her or anything. But um, she's going to be speaking on the importance of mental health and fitness and how that uh, relates, right? Because a lot of the times. Uh, Yes, you know, um, it's important to, to hear out our, our mental health, but what sort of coping me mechanisms can we use to uh, keep ourselves, um, you know, I wouldn't say like, in that right mindset, but at least help us, help us get to where we need to get to, right? Um, and that was one thing with me when um, I was experiencing a lot of the postpartum anxiety. I went to her and I said, hey, look, I need something that's going to help my mental health. And she said, let's start training. And believe it or not, with the training, I actually did feel a lot better because I was letting out a lot of frustrations through training. Um, I was talking to her through training, right? She became my, my, um, my, listening ears. She was there for me. She would hear me out on anything that I was sort of feeling. She'd help me out. So it was very therapeutic. And, um, so she'll be, she'll be speaking, um, as well. And then, um, in terms of actual professionals, like I said, I have a few from the UK, like I have a psychotherapist lined up in the next few weeks. Um, I have a poet actually, who's oh. going to be, yeah. Uh, she uses her poetry to um, express her thoughts and mm -hmm. make relations between mental health. And so, like I said, just a diverse range of speakers. And it's just been amazing because the, anyone I've, I've reached out to has not said no. No one's declined to participate. Everyone's been very open. Um, and I also want to stress that, yes, this movement is for the South Asian community, but my speakers are actually, they're not all South Asian. I have, um, I have different, um, you know, speakers from different backgrounds who are coming out and sharing their, um, their experiences. Because I think one thing that we all need to recognize is that mental health does not discriminate. Um, it is a global issue. And it's something that uh, we need to talk about collectively. As, Absolutely. Uh, that's, that's huge. And I love that you're touching on all those subjects because that's, you know, things I've covered a lot and had a lot of conversations about with people. And I know from personal experience, you know, exercise is, is huge for me. And I'm not someone who, I mean, I've learned to like it now after a couple of years, but like working out and exercise never really come natural to me. For sure. I don't, like necessarily going for runs and you know I, I like the feeling of lifting weights afterwards but during yeah. some you know it's like yeah, no, I'm not like one of those people who's just like I love going to the gym yeah, yeah. but I, I do it because I, I just recognize the benefits and I always tell people who are experiencing any form of anxiety um, or you know depression's a little bit different because it kind of it can screw with you but especially mm -hmm. with anxiety mm -hmm. The, the things you can do immediately is work on your diet yeah. and, and get some sort of physical activity, yeah. whether that's lifting weights, yeah. whether that's going for run. It could just be a walk. It could just be some push-ups. Yeah. It could just yeah. be some jumping, you know, playing yeah. basketball. Um, I think that's also a very big misconception when it comes to fitness and mental health where it's like, well, I don't want to go to the gym. Like yeah. you don't have to, you can, do all sorts of different things and, it, and it's going to help. And, you know, there's scientific reasons, there's yeah. personal reasons. Um, it did lead me to a question though, because I'm very curious how much gets translated over into, you know, this communities and, and cultures uh, that encompass, you know, South Asia, mm -hmm. you know, in the Western world, when we talk about mental health and things you can do, so exercise, you know, mm -hmm. is that a, a big thing? Um, mindfulness, you know, that's a, another thing that's really emerging in, in mental health yeah. um, here in Western culture. Like, do, do those things transfer over those kind of more 
organic, natural approaches to mental mm-hmm. health instead of just, you know, taking pills and going to therapy? Like, does that mm-hmm. translate over? Do people practice that? Is it, is it common? Yeah, we're seeing more of it now, I find. And this is, again, like, this is purely my opinion. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, even when I started training, I kind of got questioned, like, are you sure you want to be lifting these weights? And I said, yeah, because I need it. <laughs> I don't need it just for my strength. I need it for my mental state. Right. So, um, but I think that that misconception is changing. I think people are realizing, especially when you see like, you know, big icons and celebrities who are using fitness to not only, you know, build strength and resistance, but also for their betterment of their mental state, that, that mindset's shifting for sure. And I think another thing too, um, you know, this mindfulness concept, like, uh, Reiki and yoga and uh, meditation, you know, a lot of that does come from the South Asian culture, right? So uh, we've already kind of been immersed in that. So those concepts are not really new to us. I think, um, I think what's new is how we're integrating it now into our daily lives and actually understanding the, um, the true importance and significance to, to doing these practices. But uh, yeah, like even for myself, like I, I never would have thought meditation, you know, I thought meditation was something more that, you know, people um, do during like, you know, spirituality sessions and whatnot, but actually meditation is something you can quickly do like in the, like first thing in the morning, right? Just take five minutes to yourself to just calm yourself and get yourself ready and set the tone for the day. And, um, journaling too is another one that I just, I never used to believe in because I thought like, oh my God, like who has time to journal, right? But when you truly, educate yourself and you explore the different resources that are out there and you see how much of an impact they're having on other people i think you truly open your eyes and 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 appreciate the importance of these resources and tools that are there yeah i love that you bring that up because that's following the exact kind of themes of my my last few episodes which has been with like a a counselor i had um a a phd and and professional athlete uh talk about mindfulness Mm -hmm. so the last couple episodes especially when we transition to this this covid world you know i love that you're reiterating the facts that other people are are attesting to that have worked because journalism journaling journaling yeah would never know i'd have a podcast or work in radio yeah um (laughs) Like, you know, that's something that came up a few episodes ago and something I've been recently trying um, yeah. and, and exploring in mm-hmm. and to just, you know, dump those thoughts in your head and just put them on paper and whether it's a coherent manner or an incoherent manner, just jotting them down. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, how therapeutic, just the practices, not necessarily even looking at the the benefits of dissecting your thoughts and and following patterns and really thinking about what you're thinking about that mindfulness practice but just a therapeutic of just like yes yeah it's true just like let it out right and that's one thing that i i realized especially since becoming a mom so i'm a mom of two i'm not sure if i mentioned this earlier in the podcast but (laughs) mom of two so um you know as a mom you're just like there's a million different thoughts going through your mind all day, every day, even when I go to bed, my mind just, I feel like it never shuts off. Right. And so, um, I started to write, so I started a blog and then I started doing more videos and, uh, vlogging and, and this became my outlet. It became my outlet to express what was in, in my mind and also, um, connect with other parents too and hear from them. Right. And it became also an outlet for them to, to share what was on their mind. So that's kind of been like, my therapy in all of this and motherhood, I guess you could say, um, is just having this outlet and platform available for when I needed to share my thoughts. And it's definitely been helpful because there's only so much my husband, my poor husband can hear from, (laughs) from me day in, day out. Right. And, uh, there's only so many coffee dates you can go on with other moms and play dates and that sort of thing. Like we all talk about like, you know, did your kid poop today? How, how did they eat today? Right. But there's, there's a whole other component to motherhood. Right. And, um, the worrying never ends, the thinking never ends. So, uh, so that's been a very, a very helpful therapy for me. Yeah. You know, I feel that that's what this podcast is kind of turned into for me a little bit where I'm not necessarily like putting my thoughts out on my own, but like, yeah 
going through a journey of, of talking with someone and, and learning from them and, and hearing their stories and their perspective yeah. and kind of like sharing my own and, you know, how things change and, and are fluid. Like that's definitely kind of like the form that it's took for me yeah. and, and why I appreciate it to just get things out in the open and tackle subjects that I'm thinking about or, exactly. you know, just having a, a, sh- a change of perspective on, on certain things that I might not have before. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, I kind of love about, that's one of the best things about the internet. That's honestly, right. you know, you have all the, the crap with the trolls and the news and yeah. Trump, and blah, 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 blah. But yeah. like, you know, if it wasn't for the internet, you know, we wouldn't have been connected to have this okay. conversation and, you know, move forward with the projects that we'll continue to work on hopefully. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it, it, it's been a great outlet and I, even for mental health, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Yes. I couldn't agree more. So um, where can, if people want more information, where can they find you? Where can they find these speaker series if they, if they want to sign up and, and get involved? That's right. So it's all open. I've left it open concept. So you can find us on Instagram, just in the search bar, put in at the Lotus movement um, and on Facebook as well. And with all the speakers, I've been uploading them onto IGTV. So I've been using uh, okay. Instagram to, to showcase these speakers for now. Um, again, because I'm hoping this is the short term um, uh, plan at the moment. Um, so yeah, so everyone's open to view these speakers and share their opinions. Um, I'm always open to uh, talking more as well. If anyone has any questions or if they want to learn more about the Lotus movement, definitely just send me a DM through Instagram. Um, And hopefully I will have that website up and running too. uh, That's on my to-do list. Um, And then all the videos from the speakers will also be placed on the website. That's awesome. So the Lotus movement, check them out. Going to be some awesome stuff coming. Can't wait to, to go take a look. Rakshi, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate this so, so much. Like I said earlier, you're doing an amazing job connecting people and allowing us to, to have these conversations with you. Well, I, I appreciate your kind words. Thank you very much. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.